Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Callie David. Callie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. You're you're very welcome, Callie. So um, we're going to kind of just jump right into what I like to call um, four questions that are the conversational starter questions, Callie. So I'd like to know, how do you start your day? Do you have any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on most mornings and on most days? Ooh, I love that, especially since we're recording in the morning. I had such a such a juicy morning practice today. Um, so most mornings I um, practice Vedic meditation, which is about 20 minutes um, of repeating a mantra back and forth. Um, and then I have an Ayurvedic, really beautiful, just like everyday approach that I follow with oil pulling, salt water pulling, um, like stewed apples in the morning. And so it's just, it's a really beautiful and sustainable ritual for me creating that. I mean, if I do anything else outside of that, I sometimes do breath work or um, self-administered Reiki or dance. But I'd say that every single day I stick to that that Vedic meditation and the Ayurvedic practices. Now, uh, for for the um, the meditation and kind of like what you just mentioned that you stick to on 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 every morning, why have you found those specific practices, Kali, to be what you uh, need or want to start your morning or day off? Like, what 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 is it about those specific practices that just kind of uh, center you or get you ready for your day, so to speak? Yeah. So. I had like a love hate relationship with Vedic meditation for a while. I was like, okay, repeating this mantra back and forth for 20 minutes. Like, how is that going to support my day? And so my little rebellious self took time off kind of as a challenge to see, okay, what happens? I don't know if I'm noticing difference. Let's, and I, and I practice it twice a day. So I took, I took time off from it. And what I realized is practicing it every day gets me into this deeper level of consciousness where my mind settles down, my breath naturally softens, um, I feel more grounded. And so I just can't live without it now. Like it's a non-negotiable. Um, it really just allows me, it's like my prayer in the morning. It really just starts my day off because I spend so much of my day serving and holding space. So it's so important that I show up super grounded. Hmm. So like, it's, and it's so simple. It's not like I have to turn my mind on. It's like the most feminine approach to meditation. They're like, just get cozy, just lean back. And if your mind wanders, it does. So it really just helps like with any part that's resistant to structure. It's just like, you can't, you can't mess it up. And then the Ayurvedic approaches that helps my digestive system so much. Um, I tend to be a little bit more Vata, which is a little bit more airy. And really starting off the morning with like some yummy porridge and with like a nice cleanse in my mouth. Like I just, my body really digests food better. So once again, like anything I can do to really ground myself in the day and feel good and clean and open, I'll stick to that routine. Hmm. Love that. Beautiful. Okay. Um, what's your favorite book or a book that you like to gift often? And if you are a podcast consumer, uh, do you have a favorite or go-to podcast, Callie? Mm, 
I love A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. Um, yeah, that's, it's just all on the basis of like what universal love is and how it applies to literally like every part in our life. Um, it's like a very highly spiritual, but highly inclusive book. Um, and I love it. it. I recommend it to my clients. I recommend it to my friends. So it's, it's a go-to always. I have it in physical book and audio book. So both of them are amazing. Um, do you uh, listen to podcasts or not? Do you have a favorite or a go-to one? Oh my gosh. So right now I'm in Costa Rica and I don't, I used to drive all the time and I listen to podcasts. Um, so I wouldn't say I have like a go-to right now. I don't, I don't remember. I love uh, like Mark Groves podcast as well. Um, I'm trying to think it's just been such a hot, a hot second since I've, I've listened to one. Yeah. So question. Cool. No, that's, that's, that's great. Um, now, uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about a return to love. So you mentioned it's it's a, a book about like universal love. It's inclusive. It's it's you know about spirituality. Um, you know, how did you come across this book, and how did this book specifically impact your life and your uh, your your walk on planet Earth, so to speak, Callie? Mm. Good question. I love that. So, oh gosh, maybe I heard about it like five years ago from a friend. I was um, moving through some family stuff and I had a really hard time um, forgiving my dad. And so um, from some childhood stuff and my girlfriend recommended this book and she gifted it to me. I, I opened my door one day and there was like a little bow in this book. So I was like, okay, we're, we're going to dive into it. And I remember diving into it and Marianne Williamson is so fucking she's so real. And so I remember she really like holds this dichotomy of it's not all like love and light on this path, but love is honestly like the answer to our prayers. Like, and our life gets to be a prayer. Like any moment that, that we hold on to anger or hatred, it's like, yes, we get to feel it. And it's an invitation for our heart to crack open even more. And so it was really beautiful holding this dichotomy with almost anything in life. When I'm frustrated at friends or frustrated at myself, it's like this full permission to feel my emotions, but also to ask God and someone so much bigger than me to help soften me. Right. So she just, she's an advocate for self-responsibility in life. I'm not playing the victim card, not playing the woo. Oh, it's me card. It's like, how can I learn from this and take active responsibility in every part of my life? Yeah. Awesome. Love it. Beautiful. Okay. Um, within the last year, Callie, what's a life lesson that you've been taught or that you've learned? Mm. <laughs> um, to not take yourself so fucking seriously. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. You got, got to explain that one for us, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I'm a marriage, traditionally trained marriage and family therapist, and, and we'll go into details later, but now I, I hold a lot of non-traditional therapeutic spaces for individuals, and, um, and I take this work so seriously for myself and, and for my clients, but almost to like an nth degree for myself, where it's like these perfectionistic standards that I hold for my life, 
And I felt like I was always like up into this, into the last year, I was always doing like deep dive inner child work, shadow alchemy, like this intense work on myself. And last year, I remember exactly when it was, I was, um, I was sitting with plant medicine and, and I realized like, oh my gosh, I've lived most of my life on, um, on fight or flight. And I had so much compassion for that younger version of myself that, that needed to, that was in survival, that was trying to get by. And I was like, wait, what if life actually got to be enjoyable? And so I took it as this like mission of like, what if I got to like create more play more freedom, more flexibility in my life, more lightness in all areas of my life. And I kid you not, it has been like the deepest medicine of like, when I want to go in and like deep dive and do some like shadow work, right. Or dive into like Freudian work. It's like, wait, can I actually just soften my breath, realize everything's going to be okay. And can I create more play here? Um, and it was difficult at first. It was actually, it's more easy An old pattern is it's more easy to dive into like pain than it is actually like joy and freedom. And so, yeah. Does that answer your question? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it, it does. Now I want to, I want to expound a little bit more on this because this is a, a fascinating topic to me um, because I, I like to say I'm a, a recovering perfectionist and we're all kind of going through our own uh you know, uh, life journey, so to speak. But um, now with uh, not taking yourself too seriously, uh, do you feel like at times, if you're not intentional about it, Callie, do you feel like you um, are uh, like too intense? You're, you're, you're bound up, you're, you're holding on to things and, and, and what you really need to do is just let go surrender and, and release. And if so, can you, can you expound on that a, a bit more? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, looking at like the more I dive into my human design and like so many of other, um, what is it that I recently dove into? Um, oh, the Gene Keys. Um, I realized that like me and my purest light is like this beautiful, like kind of like innocent, more playful energy. And the shadow of that is like more seriousness, right? So it's like I can easily find myself in more, um, more serious, more dogmatic ways, right? And so, yeah, that's kind of for me what's worked for me, right? Everyone's going to be more different. But for me, it's like when I catch myself prioritizing work too much or pri prioritizing my to-do list, that's an invitation for me to soften more. And I swear it's like, there's so much more flow. There's so much more abundance. There's so much more everything when I can just like let go of my agenda. Um, and that doesn't mean that I don't, I mean, I have, I have a structure of how I hold my days. I have a structure of how I hold my clients. It's not letting that go, but it's just letting this like dogmatic way of like following a 900 to-do list, right. And taking myself so seriously. It's, that's a practice of letting that go. Mm. Excellent. All right. A deep word, which is surrender. And, and that's a, that's a big process for me. So uh, I'm kind of curious. The next question is, do you have a favorite quote? Excuse me. Do you have a favorite quote, mantra, or word? Uh, my curiosity is, if you don't mind sharing, what's the mantra that you repeat during your morning meditation? And then if you don't mind sharing that, uh, is there another uh, quote, mantra, or word that you find a lot of value in, or it's maybe 
a favorite of like all time or of recent times? So thank you for asking. I actually, so everyone, when I got trained in Vedic meditation, everyone has their own personalized mantra. So um, I actually don't even say it out loud to myself. It's all in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and then as far as my quotes, so I'm actually staring at my mirror in my bathroom right now. And there's two quotes that, um, that I believe I kind of just made up. <clears throat> that it, it, I'm sure it goes off of something big, but, um, and it's, what if it all worked out better than you could have ever imagined? Um, and so I know that there's other quotes, I'm not sure by who, but in that same realm, um, but it's so easy for me in my life sometimes to be like, what if I fail or what if it doesn't work? This new project, this new dating, this new, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it's like, wait, but what if it does? What if it all turns out like so much better than you could have ever imagined? And like that becomes like when I'm brushing my teeth or I'm, I'm in my morning practice, that's what I lean into is like not the fear of failure and not, not all the other outcomes. It's like actually like, what if I do make a million dollar month? Like what if my partner does drop in tomorrow? Like what if, right? Like, and really feeling into all those possibilities. Very cool. Okay, so we're going to transition, Callie, into uh, your backstory. And for me, uh, you know, getting into a, a, a guest backstory is like my favorite part of uh, the podcast conversation because we all have a story and everybody's story matters. And uh, I just, I love listening to uh, the guest story. And, and, and of course, um, those who are going to be listening to the podcast and listening to, to this conversation this is kind of, I think, one of their favorite parts is kind of finding out who Callie David really is. How did you get to be who you are at this point? So um, let's kind of start talking, if you don't mind, Callie, about uh, where you uh, grew up. Um, if you want to paint the picture for us of your younger years, um, you know, did you play sports? Were you an active person? What was academics like for you? What was your home life like for you? Uh, you mentioned some, uh, you know, uh, forgiveness that you had to uh, give towards your dad. Uh, so if you want to maybe get into that a little bit, but uh, why don't you just kind of give us the story of Callie David when you were younger up to about high school, and then you can stop because I've got some questions that kind of move us on from that point. Uh, again, if you don't mind. Mm. I love this. I like feel, feel the tingles in my heart. Um, really, really choosing to be so, so vulnerable here is a, is a gift. Um, for others. And so thank you for, thank you for holding the space. So welcome. Um, so I grew up in, in Austin, Texas. Um, and I have an older brother and sister. They're about five years older than me and grew up in like a middle to upper class family. Um, pretty, pretty religious, I would say. Um, kind of like the non-denominational um, Christian sector and had a pretty like normal, had my dad and my mom growing up, um, supportive family. Um, but when I was five, my, my mother died in a car accident. Um, so that really, really shifted um, so much of the trajectory in my life, um, waking up one morning and, and her not being here. Um, so that really like 
yeah, that I would say was one of like the biggest transformational experiences. And um, I don't really remember a lot about her. And so I don't really remember a lot about my childhood, to be honest. Um, so it's kind of like a blur from there. She died. Um, I know that we like moved homes um, because it was it was difficult to to always come back to the same home where my mom wasn't there and my dad was a single dad taking care of us. Um, but the rest of it was kind of blurry after that. So um, my my father remarried about a year or two later. I don't remember how long. Um, and that pretty much was just a span of like from when I was about seven to to graduating college or graduating high school, there was just a span of, I think I had four or five different stepmoms throughout all those years. Um, so grew up kind of in, my father of course was doing the best that he could and wanted to create um, a loving family environment for us, but it really created a lot of instability for my siblings and I. So um, there was a lot of also, um, physical, emotional abuse as well growing up. And so, yeah, it was, it was pretty chaotic. It was kind of like I had to live most of my life, like looking back at my story, I'm like, oh my gosh, I had to live so much of my life on eggshells of not knowing and not really being able to fully embrace who I was as a kid. Um, that's also been a big part of my healing is like my inner child work of healing my little girl inside of me that that really just felt like she had to be super small and super perfect and please everyone and didn't know what to say and not to say. And I grew up really quick too. I, I tended to be the one that would like emotionally support the family. Um, I remember one day coming home from church and uh, we had to go get milk. And I remember my dad just had like this huge breakdown and just started crying and like missing my mom and I remember I was the one that supported him through that. And so I kind of just became like the, the emotional caregiver. And so there was a story, no one put it on me, but there was a story growing up of like, like my emotions weren't okay to be felt or be expressed, but like I could leave myself and take care of everyone else. So um, that was a really, I would say that these are some pivotal parts in my life um, as well as um, when I was, okay, so let's see, I was 10. Um, and then my brother and sister were 15. And they were, uh, they were sent off to boarding school. And so that was also a really hard time in my life where I like woke up and I didn't, I didn't have my siblings. I had many step siblings all throughout my life, but I didn't, I didn't have them. And through some unfortunate circumstances, I didn't talk to them for like 10. Yeah, about 10 years. Um, so a lot of like separations, death, emotional separations, physical separations throughout my child life on and off. Um, and then going into like middle school that like age 10, that was pretty difficult as well. Of uh, I moved cities and started a new school and, um, I was kind of that kid that got made fun of a lot for different reasons. And. So I grew up in therapy. There was always something that, that I felt like I was processing or not feeling good enough or not feeling included by others, not feeling safe at home. So therapy just became like my safe haven. Therapy and church were like really, really big for me growing up. So that's that's the the short story from growing up to about high school time. <laughs>
Okay. Um, we, uh, what was what was your experience like at school? You mentioned uh, kind of like getting made fun of or bullied or something for different reasons, but did you enjoy the academic side of school? Did you find some safety at school or not necessarily Cali? Yeah, school was like a, it's interesting because now feeling into it, it was like, it was a safe place because I didn't love being at home growing up, right? So it was a place that I could get away. Um, and so I tried so hard to be loved. Like I tried to like fit in and be that chameleon with like every group, right? But like, like if someone could just love me or someone could reaffirm my worth and I had a really hard time there. And so like, I actually became like teacher's pets. So I dove really deep into academics and I became like my favorite for my teachers. So I could like spend lunch with them. So I could go there after school. Um, I dove really big into sports. That was also really big for my dad is for us to be like really well-versed in sports. And I wasn't that great to be honest, <laughs> um, but it felt so good to like want to be part of the team or even be like the bookkeeper. And so I loved it. I loved like weekend travels and everything like that. So it was almost just like, it was like this hit and miss of like, I wasn't sure if I was going to be included, but I knew that like the adults could take care of me growing up. I knew that like, if I didn't have somewhere to sit in the lunch table growing up, I could go to my basketball teacher's table and pretend like shoot the shit and pretend like I'm trying to learn. But really, I just <laughs> didn't have anywhere else to go. Mm. Um, now, uh, you know, at a certain point, maybe it's, you know, and it kind of depends uh, upon, you know, our, our situations and circumstances when we're growing up. But, you know, when we're younger, we're, we're just kind of living life the way that we know how to live life, we're, we're trying to survive or we're, we're thriving, whatever that environment's like. But at some point, uh, you know, maybe in our teen years, high school, we kind of start realizing or having a little bit more awareness of what's going on around us to a certain extent. And again, uh, again, uh, depending upon our situation and circumstances, some of us might have more awareness than others when we're a teen. But the point that I'm trying to get at, Callie, is for you, did you start having some sort of awareness, you know, of like kind of how your home environment was and maybe how quote unquote unhealthy or toxic it was? And if you did start having that awareness, did you start holding on to anger, bitterness, hatred, anything like that, that kind of like fueled you or caused you, uh, you know, maybe to, to struggle in some other ways uh, as a teen? Yeah, good question. So so I finally found like my, my friends, I was, oh gosh, I was right before I could drive. So right around like 15, 16. Um, and one of, one of her names was Savannah and uh, she just like took me into her home life. And her mother became like this big advocate for me of like, I started, I would go there all the time when there was issues with my family and I would start, start discussing all that with them. And she was the one that kind of was like her. And then my dad's assistant as well. My dad's assistant assistant would sometimes pick me up from school. And, um, little did I know at the time my, I was called the Cinderella of like, that's what she called me, my dad's assistant, um, because of hearing about a lot of the stuff going on with my my chaotic life and my other step siblings and kind of the, the positions that I was put into. And so it wasn't until like I had these two amazing advocates on my end that really reflected back of like what you're going through isn't normal. 
like, cause you don't know until you know, right? Like kids that go through like abuse and trauma and chaos, like that's just normal for them. And I didn't talk to anyone else about it. So like, I just assumed that that was it. Right. And so like, I'm just there like trying to like get my next breath and like trying to figure out how I can get pleased. Right. Or, like, or like my needs met, of course I had like, um, you know, food on the table always and house on the table and, you know, or a house, house over me. So, um, but yeah, so it wasn't until then. And that really like fueled me a lot of it, like taught me how to have a voice for myself. of how to stand up to my stepmom, how to stand up to my dad. Right. And then it kind of like fueled me going into college of learning. Like that's when I kind of started, once I had separation from the house, I could really start doing a lot of my own processing. I really couldn't process a lot of stuff that had happened in my childhood until I left the house at 18. And then that's when it like took me down a whole different trajectory. Hmm. Okay. Um, now, before we get into college or post high school, I want to touch on, you said you grew up in a pretty uh, like religious home, non-denominational like Christian. Um, can you just discuss what that was like for you? Uh, it sounds like you said that church and, and that faith was like, some sort of outlet or uh, reprieve for you, but um, talk, talk about that. And then um, would you talk about kind of like where you're at with that faith or with God or however you want to word all of that, you know, as a, as a grown woman, how, how did your religious experiences uh, as a child uh, help shape who you are as, as an individual today, Callie? That question just like makes me tear up because I think about that often of like the the sweet, uh, maybe Bible beating <laughs> Christian that I was, but uh, her purity and how I still how I still hold that in such a different form today. So grew up going to church a lot. Um, and my dad and I found this incredible church when I was in middle school and the way that the pastor held the space was so loving and so forgiving. And it wasn't this old, like dogmatic way of Christianity that, that I know a lot of us know. Um, and so still believing like in, in high school, there was still that belief of like, Jesus is the only way, right? There's like one way to heaven and you're going, I kind of like took the teachings that I learned in church and then I took them to like an nth degree, like to a point where even my dad was worried. Like I grew up Christian. I grew up believing in God. But there was something that happened um, where I almost took it to like this different degree. I think I I started being involved with other, other church groups. There was like this cute little group of um, like homeschoolers that I became friends with. And, and we just became like our path in life is to convert everyone to Christianity. And I was like 17 years old. Right. And so um, I ended up transitioning from like, God is so good. God is so loving. God is so forgiving. Right. In this more new Testament way of like, Jesus is forgiving us. And there's so much love and lightness to like, to kind of like this more dogmatic way when I was like 16 or 17. Um, so I went into college and I'll explain my college path in a little bit, but I went into college pretty dogmatic. Uh, and I had my first boyfriend right before college. And I even like made him like, like <laughs> become a Christian, like before like anything could happen. And so I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, I kind of went from 
from this beautiful essence of there's something so much bigger than us to like, there's only one way. Right. And that kind of was like my frame for a while. And, and it's transitioned so much since then. <laughs> okay. Can you, uh, I, so I, I want, if you don't mind, can you uh, touch on that transition from, uh, you know, Christianity, uh, you know, experiences when you're younger to the dogmatic Cali to kind of like what your evolution is now in terms of what you believe and, um, and, and, and that, that side of the coin. Yeah. So through the evolution of all of these years, which we can go into in a little bit, like my, my belief now is that like, we're just innately spiritual beings. Like it's, and I just feel like the groundingness in my system as I say that, like the most spiritual thing about us is our humanness. And for me, like God is something and someone so much bigger and God is all around us. Like it's, we have part of this bigger essence in us, but like the trees and the leaves and the plants and the water, it's like, it's, it's nature. And so for me, it's, I don't get stuck in this dogmatic of like the big bang theory or this God up in heaven that's like on their chair, this judgmental image that we've believed in. And even as far as Jesus goes as well too, as I think Jesus was this big teacher, right? But he was like the most humble teacher ever of literally just bringing divine love. Like I actually don't believe, and I talk about this with my girlfriends now, like I actually don't believe that Jesus would be a present day Christian to this life of where things have, have evolved to. Like Jesus literally came here to show us like this way of something so much bigger, of greater love, of acceptance, right? Like Jesus would be on his feet, like being this humble servant to everyone. Now, there'd be no judgment, there'd be no separation. And so, oh, I feel the tingles everywhere. So that's where I'm at now is like, I don't actually consider myself a Christian. And I don't consider, I don't put myself in a box because it's like universal love can't be put in a box. And so I feel like I would be so like my little kid self would be so proud of me. She'd also be like, wow, you're wackadoodle now. But also like, like that was my purest essence when I was young, right? It was like, how can we just love more people? How can we just embody and embrace that more? So yeah, if that helps answer your question. Yes. And I appreciate you touching on that, Callie. Okay. Um, Anything else? I want to, I just want to, I want to, I want to give you the opportunity, Callie, before we transition into college, is there anything else that you feel like you want to share or want to touch on in terms of uh, your teen years or uh, those, those uh, years uh, pre-college? If not, we'll just kind of move into your, uh, your college years. I think we hit it all. Thank you for asking. I think, yeah, just, a lot of instability and a lot of a lot of movement growing up so the yeah. second I and got a car I was the happiest child and then the second I was 18 <laughs> as well I was a free little bird so okay so um I, I love asking this question to my guests because uh a lot of times I feel like maybe when we're teenagers we don't necessarily know what we want to do or what we want to be quote unquote when we grow up but um, because of certain uh, situations or experiences, like certain things are presented to us. And then some way, somehow we find ourselves uh, going down that path, so to speak, career wise. Um, or sometimes people are very focused. They know exactly what they want to do. 
and they go in that direction. That's, that's how they live their life. For you, did you have any inkling or ideas of what you want to do or be, quote unquote, when you grew up? Um, and then once you graduated from high school, um, you, you mentioned going to college. How did life kind of unfold from that point, Callie? So I always knew, like I shared earlier, because I just became that natural caretaker. There was something always innately like that wanted to serve others. Um, I remember thinking that for a while I was really um, focused on, I wanted to be like a youth pastor. I love kids and I, I love teaching and I love community. So this was back in like middle school and high school that I had this idea. Um, and I remember also being really called, I did a lot of like missions work growing up, um, a lot of travels and um, going to Mexico or different impoverished areas. And so I remember also thinking like, okay, I'm going to be a pastor's wife. And then I'm also going to like travel around to like Africa and other areas and serve God's love. And so um, I kind of went, I had a hard time because when I was looking at, well, okay, now I'll start with college. So yeah. So going into college, super dogmatic Christian, um, knew that I wanted to study psychology, fascinated by the mind, so fascinated by neuroscience. Um, I actually completed high school a year early, pretty much. I had one class that I needed to finish. So I started college early. So I started when I was 18, I took like math class. I took psychology class. I took an ethics class. So I kind of already started diving in before I went to college in the mind of psychology. So um, knew that that's what I was going to study. So kind of already had that declared going into college. Yeah. Okay. And then... Um... Did you enjoy uh, those psychology classes and the actual experience of college or not necessarily? And then your overall college experience, what was that like for you? Was it uh, like a, a liberating experience? Was it, you know, you mentioned kind of breaking away from your home and the chaos there, like walk us through that. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. We got put in these like um, cohorts in the beginning. So I went to school in San Diego, California, and it was a private school, private um, university. And they put us in cohorts in these groups our very first year. So we had one class where it kind of became like our, our home base. You know, in high school, you had like, many of us had like that home base that you went back to. So that was mine in college. And they, so you kind of put like your idea of what you wanted to study, right? So mine was psychology, but because I had already taken Psych 101, they were like, we're not going to put you in a psych 101 class with these people. We're going to put you in another one. So I was like, okay, I want to study theology. Of course, coming there thinking that was going to be my path. They put me in a world religions class. And I remember being so fucking pissed because I was like, there's only one religion. <laughs> and my teacher was so incredible um she like I remember the first day she was she's like this like lesbian utilitarian which is like a sect of Christianity that doesn't believe in hell and the most free-spirited most free liberated human that I know and she actually ended up becoming my mentor and like wrote my grad school recommendations and she was the one that I give so much gratitude for the trajectory of my life because she expanded everything that I knew at that point. So of course I come in from Texas, this dogmatic Christian, you know, as I've already shared my beliefs and she's there like 
pretty much just blasting everything that I believed in and showing us all these different ways of belief through Buddhism, new non-dualistic thoughts, through Taoism, right? Through Judaism. And, um, and I would say that shifted everything. I had a big aha moment where in my system, I was like, oh, wait, this is actually it. Like, of course, I went in kind of feeling a little rebellious at first and kind of upset at her. And then there was this one moment. I think she, I forget what she was doing. She was such a wackadoodle, too. I love her. And like, but she was just flipping the table and everything that I thought that I knew at that point. Um, so that was really big for me is it actually encouraged me to to view life in a different lens. And it really also invited so much um, curiosity in my life. And so it allowed me to step away from the Christian perspective and really take on other views. Um, and it also really allowed so much like freedom and permission. I mean, I started dating, I started drinking, I started kind of breaking away from all these things that I didn't know that I could do. I always thought that I would like, you know, go to hell if I, if I had sex before marriage or drinking or trying drugs or, you know, all of this stuff. So it like opened up this new avenue of like, wait, if I'm not living in this like super dogmatic way anymore, then like, what does that mean about me as a human? And what does that mean about my actions? It really allowed perspective shifts and um, different behavioral shifts for me. So that really set up like the next, you know, four years of my life. Okay. Now, uh, in, in terms of kind of like this, uh, I'll just call it like a, 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 these exploration experiences, right? Like, starting to drink and just going down some different avenues that you, you know, uh, didn't go down previously. Uh, did you find uh, enjoyment or fulfillment in that exploration? Or do you feel like, or look at it as it was just a time of exploration for you, a time of just, uh, you know, trying to figure yourself out? Like, what, what was that time like when you kind of started dabbling in some different things that you hadn't before? Um, I probably liked it too much. <laughs> <laughs> so that was an interesting form of exploration because I didn't realize and now looking back at me like I of course I was in so much pain right like as you've just heard like tiny synopsis of my family life growing up it's like of course I went in not really knowing myself and holding on to a lot of trauma and so it became like food and eating disorders or leaning too much onto alcohol and leaning too much onto finding my identity and relationships. And so it was so fun and I loved it. And, uh, but definitely kind of hit the quote unquote too much on a lot of realms. Right. But that's just a part of our process. But, um, I joined like a sorority, which people always laugh because they're like, I can't see you in a sorority, but it was just like, I joined different avenues and different paths. I started kind of going into other realms of finding different ways to make friends and different ways to find myself. And so I don't regret any of the path that I took in college. It was fun. I found a community of amazing friends. Um, but there was also the deep shadow side of like, when you go so hard into these realms and you're trying to find yourself and then you end up being so empty at the end of the day too. Like these things were really fun for me, but they just were empty and they actually brought up my pain even worse. Right. When you're just laying in bed, hungover alone, and you're just, you don't have the tools and you just feel like your pain has just been like, like uh, 10 times, like right in front of your face. And you're like, well, shit, 
Like I thought drinking was going to get rid of it and it's not, I thought dating was going to get rid of it and it's not. So it's like, you're kind of just faced with your pain even more at this point. Right. Yes. I've been there and I've done that. Um, so let's, uh, so you graduate college, um, and then unpack, uh, first of all, let's stay on the, 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 the track of, uh, your career. And then I'll, I'll, I'll take a step back if you don't mind and, and, and get a little bit more in depth with your, um, you know, uh, self-work and, and self-discovery. So once you graduate college, career-wise, how did life uh, unfold for you, Callie? Yeah. So um, my dad was so, you know, I have to give him props for, and this has been a big part of my own forgiveness process of seeing how how well he tried to support me growing up. And so um, he was a really big advocate for me, like following my passion and following what made me happy. And so I knew I wanted to get my master's in therapy in some realm. And so he kind of laid out this trajectory of like, okay, this means taking this exam. This means going applying to these colleges, right? So we really helped kind of support and line this up for me. And so I took... I didn't want to take too much time off because I heard once you take too much time off between undergrad and grad, you might never go back. So I took about a year off um, and I worked, I worked all through college, but it wasn't, I worked um, at eating disorder clinics. I worked at drug and alcohol clinics. This was like post my own recovery and my own process. But um, so I took about a year off working in different mental health clinics um, as well, post-college. And then I applied to grad school and then I took the GRE. Is that what it is? Oh my gosh, it's been so long. <laughs> so yeah, then I ended up going to grad school for marriage and family therapy and then the rest is history. Okay. Uh, why, uh, marriage and family, uh, therapy? Why, why did you choose that specific uh, topic or area of study? So, for me, looking at even working with individuals, I just have such a systemic perspective. And so it's like when I talk to you, I'm not talking to you as an individual. I'm also talking to your culture, your background, your race, your socioeconomic status. Uh, you are the culmination of where you grew up from, where like your family dynamics. And so I feel that with everyone, right? It's like when we show up in relational aspects, it's like we're not just two human beings. We have so many stories to share. And so for me, I couldn't imagine getting my master's in just individual counseling. It was like, I needed to see something so much bigger. And so that's where I kind of grew this like bigger systemic lens from, if that makes sense. So it wasn't necessarily that I like had this big devotion to families and couples. I mean, I love working with them, but it's more like, how can we see everyone as a culmination of like their, their story and where they came from and seeing all these variables. So, Yeah. And, and where did you get your master's degree from? What uh, college or university, Callie? So that was um, Regis, and that was in Denver, Colorado. So oh, okay. cool. there for a year after graduating in San Diego. Okay, nice. Um, now, uh, once you got your master's degree, uh, career-wise, uh, what, did, what did things kind of look like at that point? So I worked at a... Um, Oh gosh, it's so fun looking back at this, like the many lives that I've lived. Um, <laughs> so I was a probation officer um, in for drug and alcohol clinic and also with sexual abuse cases and domestic violence cases. 
Um, so it was a really beautiful way for me to not only learn about the judicial system, but bring a more therapeutic approach um, in this in this system that we have that many of us view it, or I'll speak for myself, view it as broken um, and more punitive. And so that was part of my advocacy work was working with marginalized populations, working with those that have been abused and also the, the quote unquote abusers um, and bringing, bringing a new perspective. And I also worked at a community mental health facility as well as a therapist. So I got to work on both realms, um, but same, same perspective. It was, it was in Boulder, Colorado. And um, I worked with um, individuals in the system. And then I also worked in, I worked with, oh, this one was my favorite. I worked with little babies and newborns on attachment style with their family. So a lot of them grew up in chaotic homes and a lot of them homeless in and out and with drug abuse. And so I got to work on actually helping build the attachment between caregiver and the child. Okay. Um, now you mentioned this professor uh, during your undergraduate studies that really, uh, you know, opened you up and gave you a, a new perspective, so to speak. She really, uh, you know, had a profound impact on who you are today. It sounds like now, in terms of like the the the, the world of psychology uh, and and your your um, your career, has there been like and this can be you know a, like a one on one mentor or somebody from afar? Has there been somebody uh, that's really impacted your career in terms of psychology counseling and serving and helping others? So it wasn't actually yes and. Um, it wasn't in the traditional way. And she was the one that I give so much gratitude to where I am today, actually. So it's funny asking that question because I would, it's not like there was like a professor or anyone, you know, I love the one that changed that trajectory for me, but um, it was actually the first coach that I ever hired um, in 20, 2019 that shifted everything for me. And can you talk a little bit about how that coach uh, made that shift for you or help you make that shift? And then uh, in terms of a coach, are you talking like a life coach, spiritual coach, all of it? Like, and then also, why did you decide to hire a coach? Because this is, and, and I'm asking this because, you know, we get on social media and like, you know, there's all kinds of coaches and everybody's talking about got to hire a coach, this and that. So I just want to give the listeners some yeah. background and some reasoning of like why Callie David and all of your academics and your career decided to reach out, hire a coach and how that person helped you uh, make a shift or um, advance in your life and career. Yeah. Good question. Um, so at this point I had completed grad school. I was working in like very high stress environments and um, I was also planning to, this could be a whole podcast in itself, but um, I, had a meditation where I saw my future self in Brazil. Um, I was volunteering with little kiddos. And so I was actually like about to pick up my whole life and move to Brazil um, to follow this. And part of me, I mean, I love traveling right now. I'm in Costa Rica, I'm creating home here and community, but that's always been a big passion of mine. And so, um, and I'd been on this path of self-discovery so much. I mean, for me, I went through years and years and years of therapy for myself at this point, um, doing so much inner child work, so much trauma work and 
feeling so much more grounded in who I was and able to hold space. Um, but there's still something missing. And it was that spiritual aspect. I kind of like let that go. Right. So I like, I had that a big awakening and that big aha moment in college. And then I broke free from the church and I just never came back, but there was always something that like knew that there was something bigger out there. So fast forward 2019, I'm working at these high stress environments. I'm trying to transition out. I fell in love with this guy that was highly unavailable and uh, very emotionally unavailable as well. And so um, I reached out to a coach for something different. Like I, this is where like, it was like therapy had gotten me so far, but there was something else. And she was like a, a spiritual feminine coach. And I had lived at most of my life, right. In this very like traditional way of therapy and talk therapy and trauma work. And she just took a different lens. She took a lens of like, there's something so much bigger than ourselves. She took a lens on surrender. She took a lens on how can we innately, she worked primarily with women. Her name's Courtney McNabb, incredible person, highly recommend looking her up and, um, and really just shifted everything for me. And so that's why I hired her is like, I knew that I was like going through grief and I knew that I wanted a different way. And I also wanted support, literally picking up my whole life and moving away. So she was virtual. This was before COVID times. And I was, it was just exactly what I needed. It was like that next up level in my life. Okay. Now I want to take a step back. Uh, if you don't mind, Kelly. Um, so walk us through some of the, uh, the personal work that you've had to go through to kind of get to the point of who you are as an individual, as a human today, obviously with all the trauma and all the childhood stuff. Um, and then, you know, going through some different explorations in college, like when, when did you like, so you, you kind of talked about, you know, getting into the drinking and dating and all of that. When did you kind of like have a moment where you're like, Callie, like, we've got to figure some things out. Was there like an aha moment, as you said earlier? And with regard to that, was there uh, something that happened that kind of made you break or snap? Like, can you start to kind of walk us through that healing journey, so to speak? Because um, I'm personally fascinated to hear it. And I'm sure the listeners are too. Yeah, I love how you frame the structure because like, it kind of like leaves people hanging of like, okay, how is she where she is now? Like last thing that she said was like, she like loved drugs and drinking and now she's this coach. It's kind of like, where, how do we fill in this gap? And this is like my favorite thing to talk about. Um, so senior in college, um, no junior and junior in college. So about third year in, um, I ended up in the hospital after this was probably like my third hospital in college in the span of three years, third or fourth, um, from drinking too much. And, um, on my, on my mother's side, alcoholism runs on my mother's side. So there's a long lineage of alcohol abuse. And I blamed it with so many parts of my life of like, Oh, I just, I'm tiny. I have small metabolism. I don't drink a lot. Cause I was that person that wouldn't really drink during the week, but would binge super high on the weekends. Right. But I'd end up in the hospital. Um, and like my, I mean, it was, it was really scary. It was super frightening for me. Um, and so then I'd go to therapy for it and still make excuses, like be like, you know, I'm just not, it's, I'm just small and, you know, same thing. So not really taking, not really taking active responsibility for it. 
So this is like the third or fourth time I was in college. And that's when I realized like something had to shift. I was just like, I looked at my life and I remember thinking like, I've been in an unhealthy relational dynamic on and off throughout college. I was drinking, I was trying to find my worth in all of this. And that's when I started seeking out a different therapeutic technique um, to really bring me down a different route, which was like, instead of talk therapy, it was like intense trauma work. So I started really seeking into EMDR and started learning self-compassion and started really switching everything out. And so at that point, it was kind of like, I didn't have an option. At that point, it was kind of like, okay, Cal, do you want to end up dead? And like, this way or like do you want to fix things right so it was like I literally had no choice but to dive into healing work at like such a different level instead of just playing it easy or playing it week by week it was like I I had to take it more more seriously so that really like was 360 of my life um yeah and and so can you can you give us or talk to us about like uh you know some of the practical steps that you took like walk us through a little bit of that process of like going from the normal therapy that you've been doing to the trauma therapy and things like that. Like, and then how long did it take you Callie to kind of figure out who you were or, or to, to, um, I don't want to say, I don't know for, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say that you're like completely healed now because we're always in the process of, uh, maybe not necessarily healing, but working on ourselves, working through things. But do you feel like at this point, you know, who you are, and if so, kind of, kind of talk about the practicalities of, of getting to, to that point. Yeah. I mean, and I believe that I am is always shifting. Right. And so I love that you, that you brought that in. of like who we are is always shifting, but so I, I dove into EMDR, which is a way of bilateral stimulation in the brain. And it's like one of the best well-known techniques to, to really hit trauma therapy. Um, so I started that senior year in college, um, really worked on that intensely in my year off. Um, Things really switched for me, honestly, pretty quickly. um, As far as like my relationship with alcohol and my relationship with men, because like I didn't have a choice at that point. So it's not like it was like this like long process, just kind of like, you're going to just like get it together. Right. There was, there's always been a part of me that, that I've never, I've, I've just always believed in more. So it was like this part of hope that always knew that things would get better. Um, and then I took about a year off, um, from speaking to my father, which I believe saved him and I's relationship. So it was once I went into grad school, um, him and I created about a year, maybe nine months to a year off of not talking to each other. And I did a lot of deep seated healing work of forgiveness work of deep trauma work of kind of figuring out who I am and how I can relate to, to others in this world. Um, and then we ended up coming back together and became really strong. We did therapy together. We created a lot of boundaries and, um, and then I would say like the biggest work about finding who I am and finding like my natural rhythm and, and like the unique flavors I bring has probably been the last since 2019 when I hired that coach and really dove deep into the realms of, of my feeling body and my femininity and my pleasure and my joy. And that was, that's probably been about since 2019. So for me, it was like, I couldn't hit this aspect of really creating who I was until I cleared all the traumas of who I wasn't. Right. It was like, Oh wait, I'm not unworthy or like, I'm not this fucked up 
child or like I'm not this chaotic energy. So it was like trauma therapy gave me all the tools to help me then now create like who I was and go on this exploratory process of that. And that was like, hands down, transformative. Hmm. Um, can you kind of give us your, your pr the professional definition and kind of like help us better understand what trauma is? Because as I read more books and learn more about like childhood trauma for myself and, 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 and I'm learning that kind of, uh, uh, terminology, so to speak, it's, it's, uh, trauma is a word. I think that it's starting to get kind of thrown around pretty loosely, uh, within certain areas of, of our life. So can you give us like, again, like a, a clear cut definition of what trauma is? Uh, maybe talk a little bit about how trauma can manifest in our lives, even as obviously as adults uh, from childhood trauma, like give us, give us a little bit of like your professional um, perspective and take on that so that we can have just a better understanding of what trauma is. And again, how it manifests in our lives uh, from childhood to adulthood. Yeah. So my perspective of trauma is loosely around this idea of like, what didn't happen when you were a kid or what wasn't given to you that was needed. So trauma can manifest in so many ways. But what I mean by this is like what love wasn't given to you, what attachment wasn't given to you. And that kind of created that um, separation between safety. So trauma can, we can go on this long route of, you know, exactly what it is and what isn't, but it's kind of like, where in those times in your lives were you not given that love, right? I work with so many clients that their biggest trauma was when their mom like went into the next aisle at the grocery store and they thought that they were abandoned, right? Because that communication wasn't given of like, hey, baby, I'm going to go into aisle four and I'm in aisle three. It's like that little communication piece actually created so much rupture in that human's nervous system. Does that make sense? definition of that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I just want to kind of get your perspective. So no, that's, that's perfect. Um, okay. Now, uh, plant medicine, you mentioned that earlier in your story. Uh, when did that come into the picture and how do you feel like that's uh, been a positive or a benefit in your life, Callie? Yeah. Um, oh, and love talking about plant medicine too. Um, so that was in 2019 as well. Um, heading out to Brazil and I had a girlfriend that I went to grad school with and, um, it was kind of this under the table ceremony that we had, which was, she was, cause traditionally as in our, in our field, it's, uh, you could, it's not recommended to hold plant medicine as a, as a therapist, right? They were still, we're making, we're making strides that way now, especially with ketamine assisted therapy and ways to have it legal, but for so long it's been under the table. And so she held a very small ceremony in 2019 um, with psilocybin. And I don't know what called me to that. I think it was just like, if I was gonna sit with plant medicine, I wanted to be in the realms of someone that was safe and trained, right? And so I knew her, she reached out to me and I was like, you know what? It's worth a shot. And why not? I'm literally picking up my whole life and moving across the world. Like, let's just add some plant medicine to it. And, um, and so that's what really started my path. Um, so that was in 2019. And um, 
then I sat with ayahuasca in Brazil and in Costa Rica. And it, now it's, now I help support like plant medicine retreats. I help with integration and preparation support. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it takes everything to a whole new level. I would say it really diving into subconscious work um, and diving into a lot of reprogramming in your life. I would say it, it gets people where they're desiring to be in a, um, in a, I don't want to say quicker way than therapy can take you, but it assists you in a different way. And with the, uh, with the plant medicine is, uh, there also like a spiritual component that, uh, individuals that partake in it uh, are kind of seeking to, or, or not? Yeah, I would definitely say that I know for me, there's always been that quest of really feeling out like what God is or what this bigger reason of why we're here is. And, uh, and that really propelled so much of my own healing. And, um, I would say that that's a big theme for most people that sit with plant medicine that I work with is like kind of like most also individuals that have gone through trauma and they're trying to heal that out. It's kind of like, why me? Right. Like what did I do wrong? Or why did I get put in this place? And plant medicine gets to be this beautiful realm where you get to connect to this higher essence energy. You don't even need to call it like God or source. It's just this felt sense around you. Okay. Um, I want to, uh, ask you, Callie, like in terms of like your career and your professional pursuits, do you have like a vision or a direction that you're going, or are you kind of like in a season of life where you're just allowing things to unfold as they're supposed to? So God, I have so many ideas. I wish you could just see my list of like my, my next year's trajectory of where, where I'm calling in. Um, but I really feel it to be more in-person retreats. Mm -hmm. So I'm holding a a women's gathering in October in Colorado, and then I'm co-hosting a plant medicine retreat with um, one of my beloved plant medicine healers um, in January of this next year. So I really see that being the trajectory of like embodied work with humans face-to-face. Like I love virtual work. It allows me to work with clients all over the world but I really seeing that as like coming back to our truest nature, being immersed in nature um, and the healing power of, of touch and plants. Yeah. And move. Okay. Um, talk to me about holding space. What does that mean? What does that look like? And why is that a valuable tool to have in our toolbox as a human being? Mm. I had my sister ask me that years ago. She was like, what does it mean when you say like hold space? And for me, it's like this being a clean conduit, like allowing myself to just be a clean conduit in a vessel for what that person needs in front of me, like a safe, non-judgmental, loving environment for someone. Where I think for most of us in our lives, many people don't have someone who just holds space, who listens, who's in silence, right? Everyone puts in their own two cents. A lot of times people put in their own two cents, their own judgments, their own thoughts. And so to hold a safe space for me just believes like literally just being a, like a, a support for them where they can come to me with anything, right? And there's no judgment and everything is just on the table. You can come to me for anything. And so that's what I, for me, means being a safe haven. Yeah. Hmm. 
Beautiful. I love that. Okay. A couple more topics I want to touch on then uh, we'll start uh, wrapping up. Um, uh, in terms of like boundaries, I want to kind of touch on that. What does that look like for you? How have you uh, had to implement boundaries? I think you mentioned that in terms of your dad, but um, I know that boundaries are something that we can have in relationships in terms of like food, in terms of exercise. There's all kinds of different areas that we can have boundaries. So like, what are some of the boundaries that you feel like have been very positive that you've Im implemented in your life, Callie? And what does that kind of look like practically maybe for other people? What does that, what does that mean to have boundaries? Yeah. So boundaries are one of the most important and freeing concepts that we can each bring into our own individual worlds and our collective world, because what it does is it actually allows us to have greater communion with each other. So we often think that boundaries means that it cuts us off from other people, right? Or creates separation, but actually it's a deeper form of intimacy that it gives us. Like when I'm so clear of what I want and what I don't want, it allows me to be so much closer with others. And it gives a really clear pathway to the person that I'm in relationship with of what they can expect from me. So it's not holding, you know, anytime I set a boundary, let's say like with my family, right? Of like what I am okay and what I'm not okay with discussing or being in relationship with when I come home or in, in communion with them. It actually then, it's not that I'm expecting when I set up this boundary, I'm not expecting for them to always respect that or follow it. But it creates this guideline so that when something has been crossed and I've expressed it, I get to come back and I get to say, here's this framework, right? This is what like I've created that's gonna allow us to have deeper relationship and with each other. And so this is not supportive. So I'm gonna step away from that, right? So it's not expecting that the other person always honors it, but it's like being in such devotion that I, this is where I stand. This is what I'm gonna be honoring. Love yeah. it. Okay, now I want to tie that in. I, I want to. I'm going to get a little personal here, if you don't mind. Um, and if it's crossing a boundary, obviously you can just say no, thank you. I don't want to go there. But um, now, you know, uh, having those boundaries. Now you've mentioned like you know you had like this boyfriend when you were going in. We're going to talk about uh, like relationships, like intimate relationships, if you don't mind. Um, so you what? mentioned like you had uh, this boyfriend that you basically converted to Christianity when you're getting into college. And then you mentioned kind of getting into dating and stuff now. Uh, and then you mentioned earlier uh, having this uh, relationship where this uh, individual is emotionally unavailable. Um, so talk to me about like, how have you set up boundaries for yourself in terms of like dating or intimate relationships? And, uh, you know, how can other people maybe implement things like that to set them out, set themselves up maybe for, dating success or relationship success, kind of however you want to look at that or word that. Yeah. So this is not off the table at all. It's so important to, to be transparent. So thank you for asking that and also allowing, allowing the boundaries to be placed. What good practice that we get to start implementing with boundaries. <laughs> so um, it probably wasn't until a few years ago where I realized that I had a lack of boundaries in relationships of like, I knew what I wanted vaguely, right? I could kind of be like, oh, I want someone in this realm. I want them to be conscious. I want them to show up and be respectful. But it was just very vague, right? These like hit words. Um, and so what was that happening was I was not, before we can create boundaries, we have to know exactly what we want and what we don't want in life and get really concrete on that. So it wasn't until this last year 
um, because I realized that romantically, I, I, I believe as physical vessels, when we have intimacy with others, like we not only are allowing them physically in our body, but also energetically. And we hold on to that imprint in our body. And so um, I did a lot of clearing romantically this past year of like prayers and releasing and different rituals that I bring into my own practice of really like clearing out any imprint left from past partners. And also looking at kind of like what, what needs I wasn't meeting myself that I was trying to search for in a partner, whether it was like my worth or validation or fitting in or just to be loved, right? It's like these, these pure intentions. But what happens is when I'm unaware of them, that's when I can get really leaky and allow someone who maybe isn't of my highest, highest potential in because I'm like, well, it's better than being alone or like, oh, they fit this need. So the thing that single-handedly transitioned every relationship in my life, not just romantic, was getting so clean and clear on what I wanted. It was my non-negotiables. It was, this is exactly what I want. This is exactly what I don't want. And then these are my maybes. These are things that like I'm okay with. And I did it with every single area in my life. I actually walked my clients through a specific formula, not a formula, but kind of like a blueprint of how they can do that. Um, and for example, it's really getting clear on what you don't want. Many of us know what we don't want. We know we don't want emotionally abusive. We know we don't want emotionally unavailable. We know that these things that what we don't want, right? We know we don't want anger, whatever it is. It's going through a somatic practice of feeling what that's like in our body of what we don't want, noticing how that is. And then finding the crevices from there of like, okay, if I'm really tight and closed and I know that this is not what I want, what do I want? Wait, okay, I want to feel softer. I want to feel lighter. I want to feel more joy-filled. And starting to imprint that from a somatic perspective, first and foremost, of like, okay, I might not have a word on it, what I know I want yet, but I know how it feels in my body. And the more that I live in that state, there's more words that come from that. I can get more concrete. Is this making sense of that too, like esoteric? Yeah, it's great. Keep going if you want. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's just getting really clear what you don't want, what you do want, and then your boundaries around that. Um, and so I have a journal, which is next to my bed, and I look at it all the time. And it's with every area in my life, romantic, friends, coworkers, um, my relationship with God, my relationship with God, life of how I show up in all of those relationships and also my ask for how others show up as well. And that has been the most beautiful transformative process of creating clean and clear boundaries. Yeah. What does your uh, dad and, and your, your siblings and family kind of think of Callie David at, at this point in her, uh, her, uh, her existence? <laughs> Good question. Should we call them all in? <laughs> If they're in Costa Rica with you, let's go. <laughs> Bring them in. Oh, good question. You know, they're all so proud of me, to be honest. And um, I have an amazing working relationship with my father now and his wife and really good boundaries and where, where we see each other. But I would say they're all really inspired of where I'm at. But there's also this this underlying sadness because I'm not, they're all in Texas. And so I'm not in the States anymore. And um, and so that they wish that I was there. And also I work in a realm where it's still kind of dicey. I've stepped away from kind of the part that we didn't co connect on today was like how I broke from traditional to non-traditional therapy and where I'm at now. But um, I don't practice with my license anymore because I've stepped away so I could hold 
uh, more of a deeper, more accepting space with more holistic approaches. And one of them is with plant medicine. And, uh, and so they always are sending me articles on psilocybin and ayahuasca and all the amazing findings. So they're in such support, but they're still like, you're also working in a realm that's, that's highly illegal still. Right. And that's highly lethal like there. And so there's still kind of that, that underlying fear that they hold. You kind of mentioned like eating disorders kind of in passing and things like that and working with people with eating disorders. What's, what, what's your kind of like nutrition or eating uh, lifestyle kind of look like uh, current uh, day, Callie? Mm. I'm really big into intuitive eating. Mm. Um, like, because I'm just so body-based, like anything I do is a body-based feeling. That means like I check in with my body of, of what she needs and what's most fueling for her. And so it's really like, what is she, what is she desiring today? What's going to fill my body up in a nourishing way. Um, and that has taken years of deprogramming from, um, not only did I struggle with my own relationship with anorexia and bulimia and all of that, but I've also, um, witnessed others. And so I've found this, this really freedom way of living where it's, there's so much compassion and love, you know? And so my body might not always say yes to the ice cream, but I believe in it so much that I'm like, <laughs> you know, well, I'll suffer the consequences if my body suffers the next day, it's worth it. You know, we got to have some pleasure and fun in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Ice cream, uh, ice creams you, you can never go wrong with ice cream. Uh, that's for sure. So, um, okay. Uh, we're going to kind of wrap it up, Callie. Uh, the kind of the tagline of the podcast is conversations with those in pursuit of more. So the final question that I'd like to ask you is uh, what are you currently pursuing or in pursuit of? Mm. With my work or with life? However you'd like to take it. Both if you want to answer both. Hmm. <laughs> Honestly, I'm in, in pursuit of more, of more rest, of more softness, of doing less. So it's kind of a backwards way of, yes, I have these big ideas of where I see all my relationships in life going, but I'm actually in more pursuit of like a simpler way, a more restful, organic, natural way. That's a lot slower than we've been going. And, and, and can I ask you to uh, expound a little bit of why you feel like you need to go in that direction? Yeah. Um, I've been teetering the last few months. I mean, I've gotten it down now, but on this edge of burnout, um, I mean, it's like my pursuit isn't to completely leave the matrix. I don't feel like that's always super sustainable where we're at right now. So I still, you know, we have to own that we live in a capitalistic society, which can also be supportive, but, um, there's these ideas that we have to do, 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 do right to, and there's also bills that need to get paid. And so I think I've almost gotten burnt out and I've seen that with my clients and I've seen that with my friends and the ones that I love is this, um, this pathway. And it's not actually leading us to our main goals. You know, my main goal is like deeper communion, deeper love, right. Deeper nourishment. And so that also means that if this way isn't working and we're not getting there from overworking, there's a new way, right? So as I've started coming back to slowness and of rest and nourishment, I'm like, wait, 
everything that I actually desired is actually coming to more fruition that way. Um, I think something, uh, you know, just to, to, to finish this conversation up with is we can be in the world, but we don't have to be of the world, right? Yeah, exactly. I love that. And that's how I feel is like, I live in my own little bubble and I, and I, uh, and I choose to still be, I'm, I'm very privileged that I get to do that where I'm at right now. And I also get to still be aware of what's going on, but choosing how I want to show up and being part of this bigger change that's happening right now. Right. And so I get to create boundaries and, and get to choose that. And we all do. We all do. We all get to choose how we want to show up and be a part of this bigger, this bigger evolutionary change and shift that's happening right now. Awesome. Um, we're going we're gonna to wrap it up right there, Callie. But before I do a quick outro and I let you go, I kind of want to give you an opportunity if somebody has resonated with your story today, if somebody wants to connect with you, if somebody wants to work with you, if somebody wants to come hang out with you in Costa Rica uh, or be a part of any of your retreats in Colorado or uh, in the coming uh, uh, days, uh, where can people reach out to you, connect with you, find you, all of those things? And then if we we didn't touch on anything that you feel like you wanna uh, touch on or if you have any final thoughts or words, that we'd like to leave with all of us listeners. I'm going to turn it over to you. Platform's yours. I'll do a quick outro, and then we'll uh, we'll be done for today. So, whatever you'd like to share in closing. Beautiful. Um. So I'll just say work-wise, what I'm so fucking in love and obsessed with um, where my work is and where it's shifting. And I would love for anyone that feels called or has resonated like to come join me on this path. Um. I mostly can be found on Instagram. It's underscore. And then my name, Callie David, C-A-L-L-I-E-D-A-V-I-D. Um, you can also check out my website, which is www.calliedavid.com. Um, and where I've really found the happy medium is I blend traditional and non-traditional therapeutic techniques. So I really find a way to um, blend a lot of my traditional trainings with internal family systems, with trauma-informed work, trauma -informed work um, with somatic work as well, um, and blend it with really other holistic ways of being. So I've gotten trained in breath work and I also get, I've gotten trained in holding space with plant medicine. And so I hold this really beautiful space that I love supporting individuals with, um, specifically individuals that are highly sensitive and struggle with boundaries. Like you said, it's, that's like my, my favorite thing to bring in is helping people realign with their path, reclaim their power, create badass boundaries, and just have really healthy and healing um, relationships. So um, I hold one-on-one -on -one space. I also hold group space. And then I do virtual and in-person work. So there's so many different avenues to work together. Um, I'm holding a retreat in January of this next year. So um, all about embodiment and breath work and also plant medicine. So if you're more interested, please feel free to reach out and, and I can send you over the information. Okay. And then what's your website, Callie? Uh, it's www.calliedavid.com. All right. Uh, Callie, thank you so much for coming on, uh, the podcast and having, uh, this conversation with myself, sharing your story, uh, with myself, all the listeners and with the world. So, uh, it's greatly appreciated, okay? Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun and, and I can't wait for more. So feel free to reach out.
questions yep. and be on the other end. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, all of you who are tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid, I just want to say thank you so very much. I appreciate you. I value you. And if you guys like to uh, connect with me, I'm always uh, open to connecting with uh, new new, uh, new individuals, uh, people that are uh, supporting uh, the podcast. So two ways that you can reach out to me, connect with me, find me. If you'd like, Instagram, Curious and Candid Podcast, and then email podcast at gmail.com. One huge favor I'd ask of all of you, uh, please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes. Uh, leave us a five-star rating and review. And then if you guys are interested in holistic lifestyle coaching, you can visit my website, which is awakentrainingandnutrition.com. Again, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid, and we'll catch you on the next episode.